If we reverse it a little bit, I have a question for you. If someone were to be a fly on the wall when you prayed, what would your prayer life teach us about your convictions, your faith, who you are, what you believe about God and your role in this world? Somewhat of a challenging question, yes, if someone were observing that. I think for some of us, people would realize, wow, they're really busy. Some of us would say, yeah, I don't know if she or he really believes our prayers are making a difference or if prayer works. But for some of us, it'd be like, boy, they, they think this is the deal. They, they, they think there's real work here that's happening in that. We have this beautiful gift in the Gospels. There, there are many gifts in the Gospel, of course, but there's one chapter that I think is just this unique gift compared to all the other aspects of the Gospel is we get to listen in on this one particular chapter, the Gospel of John, chapter 17. If you brought your Bibles, would you open there to John 17, uh, with me, and we have this gift. We get to listen in on the prayers of Jesus. We get to, we get to listen that what churned his heart. We, we get to see through these prayers what, what really drove his, his life and faith and relationship with God. And I believe we're going to learn some profound things. We're going to learn what Jesus really believed about who God the Father is and about who he is, his sense of identity. We're going to see how he believed, what he believed about the world and how he wanted to press in in prayer. One of my favorite um, uh, authors or, or writers um, in, uh, regarding prayer is Andrew Murray. And uh, he wrote this about prayer. He said, um, I think we have the, do we have the quote up there for it? Yes. The power of prayer depends almost entirely on our understanding of who it is with whom we speak. Take that in for just a moment. The power of our prayers depends almost entirely on, who, on our understanding, on our apprehension of who it is with whom we speak we speak. I think when we open up and begin to listen to the prayers of Jesus, we're going to recognize his sense of identity, who he believed, and then see how that sense of who he believed he was directly related to the power in which he prayed. And my hope and prayers that's going to transform our prayers in our prayer life, that it's going to affect who we believe God is and the identity of Jesus Christ. But before we turn to the verses, I wanted to show this short video. Some of you have 
seen these man on the street videos. This was taken, I believe, in New York about a year ago. And um, it, they simply were asking the, the, the question of who do you think Jesus is uh, of random people on the street. And as you listen to this, I want you to think about, huh, I wonder, they just said what they believe about Jesus. I wonder how that would relate to their prayer life, okay? Let's watch this video. Historical figure? I know. I think he was just a person. I don't know. Just a normal person like us? He was a selfless person. I have no clue. He was a man. I think he was marketing genius because he got people to believe him. I don't, I don't think he's the son of God. I don't, don't believe that at all. If David Copperfield was in the day of Jesus, he would be Jesus. I'm pretty sure he existed. Like, I'm not gonna say that he didn't exist. He was God's son, but so was Gandhi, and so was Muhammad, and so was, you know, we're all God's children. Jesus is someone I pray to. Well, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Um, and he, to me, is like symbol of just ultimate forgiveness and ultimate love. He's sort of that like constant figure in my life. Jesus is also Isa in Arabic and he was a messenger as well. He was just extremely enlightened like religiously and morally. He was somebody that um, just tried to um, impart wisdom on others and um, make the world a better place. I think he saw something that a lot of people didn't see and still don't see in others. And I, I think that's just a lot of love and, and hope. Jesus sort of seemed like an ominous uh, figure. You know, he just, he, he was God and it was hard to relate to him. But I think as I've grown in my faith a lot, I really started to see Jesus as my closest friend. I've watched a lot of those man on the street videos. I never heard the David Copperfield one. I mean, like, wow, that's an impressive uh, view, right, of the magician? Um, so think about this for a moment, about then in their times of prayer, depending on who their, what their view of Jesus was, what would their prayer life look like? We're just gonna read the first five verses of John chapter 17. And would you, again, uh, Jesus is, he's preparing for the cross. He's, he's journeyed a lot with the disciples. Um, he's had some profound, just got done with this profound teaching, uh, washing the disciples' feet. He's been talking about the work of the Holy Spirit, how he's being taken away. Vine and branches abide in me, and I will abide in you. He's saying the world will hate you, um, but I have overcome the world. In fact, I'm going to read the last verse of, of uh, John 16. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So he's been teaching and preparing and getting them ready for his departure. And then after this long teaching, our high priest, Jesus, prays for his disciples, for you and me, for the world. Just the first five verses, listen in to the sense of how Jesus saw 
his role in this world, and his sense of identity. After this, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may, be, may glorify you. He's talking about the cross, his death, his resurrection, how in obedience he's obeying the Father and, will obe- and, and then God, the Father glorifies him. For you granted him, Jesus, he's talking about himself in the third person now, for you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those who have, you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I read that line, verse 5. Go to the next screen. I'm going to read that again. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. What is Jesus saying there? He's saying, well, let me ask you this. Do you think Jesus saw himself as simply a good teacher. How about a nice guy? I mean, I think he's maybe a nice guy. How about a prophet among others? But more? But more? He's praying this prayer that he's glorifying God in obedience and God would glorify him, essentially restore him to where he was. I mean, that was kind of a long time ago, don't you think? Before the world began? He's saying, he's saying, do you recognize he's This is a a statement of divinity. And Jesus was fully aware that he was returning to the glory and the majesty and to the divinity in which he laid aside as he entered the world, obeyed God, glorified him. And now he's saying, now, Lord, as I complete the work, back to the place of majesty. One of the neat things about the Gospels, all four of the Gospels, is there is what you could call a progressive revelation 
of who Jesus actually was. You could hear it in the video with people, right? They're, they're wrestling through this sense of who was Jesus? What do I really believe about him? And this progressive revelation, you see the different people in the gospels wrestling with the sense of Jesus' identity. Now, some recognized him indeed as a rabbi and as a teacher. For example, take Nicodemus in John 3. Go to the next screen there. The progressive revelation of Jesus. One more. Then you have this John 3. Nicodemus goes to him, and he, and he, he goes probably at night because he's a religious leader. The religious leaders are being stirred up. They're saying he's not from God. He, he's from the enemy. And Nicodemus is wrestling with the sense of identity with Jesus Christ. And then he says, Rabbi. We know that you're a teacher who has come from God for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. You see the sense, like Nicodemus is saying, okay, we'll grant you this. You're doing some pretty sweet stuff, all right? I can't deny that you're teaching with authority and that you've got some gifts. So there's a power there, but you see Nicodemus is wrestling with more. And then as, as you read Jesus inviting him into this relationship, Jesus is wanting to reveal more of who he is to Nicodemus, just like he wants to do that with you and me. Even the apostles, many of them had this grand sense of who he was. They believed he was a, a, at least a prophet. They believed there was power and work going. They, they started to go with him and they were, is, is he the Messiah? Is he the king who was to come? And he's doing these miracles and they're going, wow. And yet at one point, in fact, the point when, when Jesus calms the storms, their life are threatened, and even the apostles who had been living with him and seeing him preach and heal, they said this in, in Luke 8.25. These are the apostles that were on the boat. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? Who is this? He commands. He commands even the winds and the waters, and they obey him. What? Where is this authority coming from? I mean, Elijah and Elisha, they were, they had power and authority. The prophets, they had, and Jesus with that, but who, what is going on here? Again, Jesus was inviting them to believe more and more of who he was, just like he's doing with you and I. There's somewhat of a theological debate of whether Jesus and the apostles really believed that he was divine. That uh, some more liberal theologians have argued it was kind of a creation of the church, that he was just a good teacher. But the early church was like, hey, we gotta give some energy to this deal. So let's make him God. That sounds like a plan, right? If you read the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus keeps inviting people and he does the same thing today with you and me. He keeps inviting us to see more and more of who he was. And I love that phrase of verse five. 
before the world began, because that's right in the middle. I don't have this uh, in your bulletins, but uh, in the PowerPoints I do, there's a book-ending passages of Scripture I just want you to see. John the Apostle writes in John 1, the opening verse, listen to, to this sense of, do you think John the Apostle believed that Jesus was God. He says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then in verse 14, the word becomes flesh. You know who the word is? Jesus. I think it's relatively clear, is it not? And then at the end of the gospel, when, when Thomas is doubting, and he's saying, Jesus appears to the other apostles. He says, unless I, I put my hand on a side, I, I'm not going to believe. Well, Jesus appears to Thomas and listen to what he says. And then Thomas's response. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord. And my God, see this progressive revelation. And Jesus, the other angels, if people try, angels, when they, people tried to worship him, they'd say, no, 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 don't worship me. No, 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 only worship God. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus blesses Thomas. You got it. Yes, you're seeing, you're understanding that, that sense of divinity of Jesus. Verse five reminds me of another story in the early church, whether the early church believed that Jesus was God, points to a, a story when the church was facing persecution and Stephen was one of the ones that was uh, contending for the gospel. And the religious leaders were really upset with Stephen and they were about to stone him. And Stephen gives this long message, perhaps delaying his stoning. No, I'm just kidding. But he gives this really long message, right? And then just before they're about to stone Jesus, uh, uh, stone Stephen, Jesus gives him a vision of himself. Stephen looks up and sees the glory of heaven. And listen to what he sees. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Stephen sees this and then he says, look, he said, I see heaven open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. Stephen is seeing it. He's seeing Jesus in his full glory restored to where he was before the beginning of the world. Hallelujah. Did the early church know who Jesus was? Amen, they did. They saw it and they recognized it. And then, if you look at the early church prayers, they did not pray like Jesus was simply a good teacher. They did not pray 
pray like Jesus was a prophet among many. They prayed that Jesus was on the throne with the Father at the right hand of God. That's how they prayed. They believed in Jesus as God. That is how I believe, friends, Jesus is inviting you and I to pray. Though I fear that our prayers fall far short of the early church. Our view of Jesus, our sense of his identity should transform the way we pray. Now, I have another really good piece of good news with you for you. Not only did Jesus pray for you in John 17, guess what? He's praying for you and I right now in this moment. John 17 reflects Jesus praying from earth for us, but now restored to his glory that he had prior to the beginning of the world, he is praying for us. He's interceding. Get that in your mind. Hebrews 7.25, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him, Jesus. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. Romans 8.34, Paul says this, it is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of the Father, who also makes intercession for us. Is that awesome? Now get that in your mind. In your minds, I imagine for a moment, God enthroned in heaven and at his right hand is Jesus. And there is this divine counsel and conversation that's happening. And Jesus is talking to the Father about you. And me. Can you imagine that? A Scottish theologian said this If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Now, as awesome as that is, I have a little bit more of a good news. Can you, I mean, I have good news that is going to build on top of that. Are you ready for that? Okay, yes. You ready? Yeah. All right. We've got God the Father and Jesus Christ and someone else is praying for you. Who is that? The Holy Spirit. We see in Revelation that the Spirit is symbolized in seven lamps 
before the throne and the, the fire is blazing there. Can you get that in your mind's eye? The spirit of God is there. Seven lamps, it's blazing. And imagine the heavenly host, the saints that have gone before us, the elders that are there, the, the angels that are there and they're worshiping and adoring and yet right in the middle of the throne, you've got God the Father, you've got Jesus Christ, you've got the seven lamps of the Spirit of God and they're having this divine conversation and what are they talking about? You. You. Wow. Now there's one thing missing from this picture. Do you know what's missing from the picture? According to Revelation, close your eyes for just a moment. You've got God the Father on the throne. You've got Jesus interceding at the right hand. You've got the spirit of the living God symbolized in seven lamps burning and blazing and they're teaching, they're, they're having a conversation, they're talking and right in the middle are some golden bowls and from the golden bowls there's incense that is going up before them, right in the middle of their conversation. There's interaction with this divine counsel and they're talking and they're interceding and they're praying and in the middle is the golden bowl and with incense flowing up. Do you know what the golden bowl and the incense, Revelation 5, 8 tells us, for the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of God's people. In the midst of this divine conversation our voices are there. He's hearing there. And remember, some of you remember a few weeks ago, Abraham, and he invited Abraham into the divine council, the the heavenly council that was happening. And the story of our prayer life is he invites our prayers to the throne room and the heavenly council. Friends, I'm concerned that the reason why, one of the primary reasons that the church is struggling so much in the West is that we don't apprehend who it is we pray to. And we don't understand the role he wants our voice, our prayers to play. I would say just as there is a progressive revelation of who Jesus is, so is meant to be a progressive revelation of how we pray and how we enter into the throne room of God.
I was thinking about my own prayer life and that at the different understanding of who Jesus is and who God is reflects how my prayer life has progressively, slowly, ever so slowly grown. That there was a time that I, I believed in God. I, I wasn't sure about Jesus and Christianity, not, but I knew I believed in God. And, and I, that's good, that's positive. That get, got me so far in the Christian faith. But I remind you that James said this about simply belief in God. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Right? So, okay, we're with the demonic. We believe in God, right? <laughs> Invitation of more, right? Um, thought of this analogy and... Uh, it, and I was trying to link together the power of our prayers that we would understand the progressive power of our prayers. Does anyone remember pagers that you would have on that? Yeah? So that's what they would go off, right? I was serving in, in, uh, as a social worker, and our agency had contracted with a police, sta uh, police stations in the area, suburbs of Chicago. And whenever there was runaways, we would be on call. There was three of us that would rotate, and we would have a pager. And if uh, a runaway happened or a lockout happened at the police station, they would page us either 911 or sometimes they would pay just 666 because the devil was at work, okay? Now here was the amazing technology of the pager. I didn't have to be at home near my phone or at work near my phone. They could get a hold of me no matter where I was. This was mind-blowing. You young adults don't know what I'm talking about. You have no idea, right? But this was revolutionary. I could be driving in my car and they could let me know. No, I had to drive to a, a landline that was connected to a wall, okay? I'd go and I would call the agency and figure out what was going on. But that was the pager, right? Then they came up with the cell phone. And it was amazing. I could be paid. I didn't have to be paged, but they could call me and I could call them right back with my cell phone. I could, I learned to, it was, a, it was hard, it was challenging, but I figured out how to text somebody back there. Now, do you, some of you will remember how like every number had three letters of the alphabet. So I could text sentences. It would take me hours, right? <laughs> hours. But get this new technological advantage. It was amazing here. I'm going to show it to you guys to see. I'll just show the young adults first. So instead of texting the three letters, look at this. Oh! a keyboard in which to text. It was awesome. <laughs> now it reduced simply an hour of taking me a couple of sentences to text, right? So you had a phone in your pocket 
And then what happened? The smartphone, right? I've resisted it for a really long time, all right? But it's happened, and all of a sudden, I didn't have a pager in my pocket. I didn't have simply a cell phone in my pocket. I had a computer in my pocket. I had access to the internet and information. I could wonder about a question or an author, and I didn't have to go to the card catalog. Do you remember? Anyone remember card catalog? I hated that. I hated that. Right? You, you didn't know if you were getting what, where the book was, and you found it. Was it the right book? And then you, oh, it was terrible. Now you get to ask Siri, and it's right there. <laughs> Friends, I think some of us are praying pager prayers. I think some of us are praying cell phone prayers. And Jesus is modeling a a smartphone prayer where we have access to the throne room of God. It's good when the devil is at work and you send a, a 911 pager to Jesus That's good. But there's so much more that he has for us. In fact, if I play it a little bit farther out, I I think it's good if we move our prayer lives to a conversation from pager to we actually flip the phone and have a conversation with God. That's progress in prayer, yes? That's good. But what we see in the New Testament is that he invites us to this kingdom work in our lives, in this church, into the community. He says, I'm giving you access to the divine counsel, the Father, the Son, the Spirit. And your voice matters in this. I was reminded of, I was reminded of the story of Jesus when the disciples couldn't drive out um, the, the demons uh, of this boy. And he is, um, and the, the father is distraught and his son is there. Jesus comes and, and the son says this. He says, yeah, this is happening. Your, your disciples couldn't do anything. If you can do anything, Jesus. And this was Jesus' taxi driver moment. He says, if? If? Now, he doesn't actually say this, but I read between the lines. He says, are you talking to me? Do do you know who I am? Right? If what? Listen to what he says. He says, if you can, are you? uh, No, that's not the scripture. Everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. 
You see, Jesus was inviting. Don't you know, I have the authority. God has given that to me. Do, who remembers what he did with his authority? What Jesus did with his authority, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, what does he do with the authority given to him? He gives it to you and me. He's saying, I'm giving you this. Pray. You know the family business. You know what your father, your heavenly father, the work it's doing. You know the agenda he has for your life and your kids and your church and this world. Would you join him? Would you lift your prayers to him? All right. Just wanted to say this. We're offering this Seek God for the City. That's kind of our prayer initiative during Lent. I've so enjoyed this. I've just done the first couple of days since Wednesday. It's short. And you know what this resource is doing? If we really follow this resource, it's teaching us to pray smartphone prayers. It's teaching us to rise above our circumstances, above our six, six, six circumstances, above our personal needs, and it's turning our attention and focus to God's work in the city, in the world, in Lebanon, right? All different places. I long for us to be a church that is growing in our prayer life and lifting our prayers with the incense in the throne room of God for his glory, honor, and praise. Let's pray. Would you think for a moment, again, in your mind's eye, the the spiritual reality that scripture paints for us. God, the Father on the throne. Jesus at the right hand of God. The, the seven lamps of the Spirit blur, burning and blazing. The elders, the heavenly hosts, the angels there, and the golden bowls with incense. If there was a prayer that you could add, it can be for your life, it can be for your circumstance, it can be for a friend or a relative, it could be a concern within the city or this nation, it could be a concern for the world. If there's one prayer that you want to intermingle with the incense of heaven what would that be Feel free to stand and sing with us. You can also um, stay seated if you if if that feels comfortable to you as you're praying. Whatever the Spirit is leading you to do in response.